Welcome to the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast, where we talk strength training, science, and all things performance for cyclists and triathletes, helping you be a stronger, more savvy athlete now and for many years to come. Here's your host, Menachem Brody. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 160 of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast. This week, we're going to talk about keeping adaptations for cycling in triathlon season. Specifically, we're going to be talking about strength training. Why do I say it like that? I don't know. I watched the Adam Sandler Mark Twain Awards uh, the other night, so he did his first five minutes in his uh, shtick voice. Anyhow, uh, we are going to talk about strength training uh, and how to keep those adaptations through the cycling and triathlon season. Now, this is something that as a community, uh, it really surprises me still that a community of endurance athletes, both cyclists and triathletes, who have so heard and and are so scared of losing those adaptations that we will go out and train ourselves five, six days a week, super hard, even when it's time, especially when it's time for us to go easy, because we are so afraid of losing those adaptations, of losing those watts. We have, we are, we have a proper phobia of taking time off because, oh, my, my gains are going to go away. Instead of what you heard last episode with Tim Cusick, that adaptation is everything you're after. In order to get that, you need to rest. So a community that's gone so far one way, we still are so stuck in, oh, the cycling season is here. Oh, warmer weather. I'm going to drop my strength training for some core and go out and expect all of those gains to stay. Now, there are two things that need to be understood about this. One is uh, I think many of us still have the wrong impression of what strength training should do. It's not about the weight you move in the weight room. It's about changing how your body is able to produce stiffness to get movement where you need it in the right amounts and to keep your postures in positions such that your body can move economically and efficiently. And second, that uh, when you go into the weight room and hammer yourself so you're sore for four days after, uh, you are causing immense amount of trauma. And that second part comes from this bodybuilding mentality. And by the way, most bodybuilders who are not professionals, or excuse me, powerlifters, will focus on powerlifters. Uh, actually, both of them, bodybuilders and powerlifters, the ones who are true professionals, not the gym bros and bras that you see, understand that you only get one really hard day in a gym a week. Uh, there was a, a documentary done um, about one of the, the all-time best uh, bodybuilders where they interviewed him, and he's like, man, I would go in one, one day a week, and I would just crush myself. I would crawl out of the gym, but it was one day a week. I would take two days off after that. Ronnie Coleman is who I'm talking about, so you can look it up on Netflix. Uh, and I would come back two days later, and I would do some lighter stuff where I would just do some volume, but I wouldn't go to that level. So we're talking about one of the best of all time, talking about he would go once. Yes, he would go to that level. That was his job. That's what he wanted to do as a professional. Yet... Many cyclists and endurance athletes are heading into the gym and lifting heavy shit two or three days a week so they can't move. Oh, my legs are so sore. Well, what does that do to the adaptations that you need in order to ride stronger? And that leads us to our first point, which we'll get to after the quick update. Cliffhanger! Uh, Just a quick HVT update for the week of March 28th. Since we are recording this on Tuesday, March 28th, we had the national championship here for uh, the track. Uh, the last four days. So we had uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday of last week. So I needed a little bit of a breather on Sunday. Granted, I wasn't competing. Uh, I was at the the track, the velodrome most of the day, 
Uh, and it was a lot of fun, uh, a lot of lessons learned, a lot of new levels reached, both from a power standpoint, a performance standpoint, as well as understanding how to and how not to taper uh, for a national championship. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about this uh, in another episode, Future Down the Road, as we have that scheduled. Uh, but there was a lot of really great feedback from those of you here listening. Um, the feedback from the last couple of episodes has been absolutely fantastic. A number of you have have messaged me on Facebook or emailed me in particular. I don't think anybody has uh, messaged on Instagram as of yet uh, that they're really enjoying the series and how it's laid out. So we had uh, Tim Cusick and before that we had uh, Cheryl Strauss-Einhorn. Um, and and these are kind of tracks. So think of it like a master's program or a PhD program that we're trying to share with you on how to get your performance so uh, better or your athlete's performance. So really trying to change the structure, whereas before we would do it in pairs or trios. Um, we had uh, the Road to Kona, uh, I think 2019 was the year we did that, or 2020, can't remember. Um, so we've had a number of different uh, series, but really we're trying to take you on a course to help you understand and your athletes understand what it is you need to get top performance. So hearing that feedback has been fantastic. I really appreciate it. Um, if you haven't already, uh, if you could please subscribe or follow the podcast. I'm trying to hit 50,000 subscribers slash followers before the end of 2023. So if you could give us a subscribe, give us a follow. If you would like to take two or three minutes and give us a quick review, that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, and of course, any of the episodes you find that are valuable, please share. So the last week was filled with the uh, track uh, nationals, that, that really took up everything. Uh, we had an interview for a new intern who will be starting here in a day or two, so really excited for that. That means one of the HVT social channels, either Facebook or YouTube or Instagram, will start to have some new content uh, as she is interested uh, and helps, uh, that will really be geared to helping answer her questions. So uh, if you are not yet following at HV Training, I would recommend doing so on those three mediums because uh, we will have some fresh content coming out for you here uh, as we get started with her. So really excited for that. And I think this is our 14th or 15th intern that we've had, 2020 and 2021, uh, 16, 16th intern that we've had. So uh, really excited to get her started. Now let's answer uh, or continue rather the question or that first point. And that is many of us, when it comes to spring or summer, we, we don't understand that the adaptation that we're after and this is what Ronnie Coleman and all top bodybuilders and powerlifters understand, is that it takes time for the tissue adaptations to occur. You can't go into the gym and kill yourself or crush yourself every single day or twice a week or three days a week. We're talking about the top powerlifters in the world. Pretty much, unless it's a movement that they're really good at, so for me, it was deadlifts, and I was not a top, I was a top regional powerlifter, uh, drug-free, so I'm talking about the trends that go all the way up and something that my coach taught me, that his coach taught him, that the other truly world-class or at least international uh, class uh, professionals, if you're really talented at a movement pattern, like a, a deadlift, a squat, or a bench press for the powerlifters, you can train that twice a week. And that's what we did for me. Uh, so I had a volume day where we would work on technique and groove the pattern. We would work on speed. And then we had a loading day for that pattern, which was the heavy deadlifts, which were, we did all types of variations of the barbell deadlift. We didn't have the, the trap bar as of yet. Uh, we were really training. That was my training. That was my sport was powerlifting. So it's all about the nervous system and making sure that you're getting the nervous system and tissues to adapt, 
but it takes time. The nervous system takes anywhere uh, from really three to six days to, to have that adaptation. Some would argue that it's closer to weeks. Uh, from what I've seen from a, a perspective of training, as long as you're getting a good quality amount of sleep every week, it's not just a, a, about uh, the quality, but also the quantity when we're getting into top performance. I know in the past I've talked about the quality of your sleep and getting the deep sleep and the REM sleep. This is true, but the quality and quantity, if you're really going for top performance, allows for those different tissue adaptations to happen. So you can't go into the gym and hammer yourself. And this is where most cyclists and triathletes uh, are still lagging behind. We very much have the gym bro or bra uh, mentality of I need to lift heavy. And that's the rallying cry. I'm seeing it make its rounds again. Lift heavy shit! And a number of professionals and, and, and people who meant well and really wanted to rattle the cage and did a good job doing that are backing off and saying, well, yes, but there's a, a nuance to it. And this is a, a big step in the right direction for us. But as it pertains to our conversation today, the adaptations uh, that we're looking for out of our strength training, it's really about the nervous system and something we haven't really discussed here in the podcast because it is a very, very, very deep topic, uh, and that is the fascia. And the fascia is something that there are very few professionals who deeply understand it, and I do not include myself in one, as one of them. I, I'm very much a, still a young student. I, I've been privy to a number of those true professionals, uh, one of whom... The amount that he's forgotten is still volumes more than what I'll, I've learned to date. Um, and when I, I learn from these people, from these mentors, from these other coaches, uh, it really is fascinating as to how much the fascia affects everything. Now, we won't go into that level of things, but the adaptations that you're looking to keep is about the nervous system and the fascia. And in order to get those adaptations, you have to keep the training to be consistent. Now, as soon as you get away from your strength training, and, and we, we're all listeners here, I know a number of you have followed and subscribed already, uh, and if you haven't, I appreciate that. The movement quality is what we're after, and of course we need some loading, but this is where training by perceived exertion uh, is really, really important. We, we need to understand that we need just enough stress on the tissues uh, and on the, the, the fascia. And we talked about this two episodes ago and what is auto-regulation training, episode 158, that in order for you to see those tissue adaptations, we need to get the movement quality right. We need to get stiffness in the right areas in order to get movement in the right areas. That is athleticism. And to allow that to happen, the fascia has to ebb and flow. There's stiffness or, or tension in some areas and other areas get movement. But you have to train that consistently, especially for a sport like cycling, where we are in so many hours in a non-normal position. This isn't field sports or ball sports, where yes, basketball, you have an overhead movement, which is unusual, but there are all types of different movements that are happening in all planes throughout. It's not like volleyball, same thing, overhead. It's not like uh, football, where yeah, there's overhead and there's catching, but there's all types of different dynamics. In our sport, we are stuck essentially in one position for a very, very long period of time. That is the definition of our sport. Even for track cycling, in order to get the volume that you need to get the adaptations, uh, it's gonna take some time on the bike to build the foundation, the aerobic foundation, to be able to build your, your fitness building higher. And when you take that away, especially, especially, especially for a sport like cycling, or where cycling is one of the three sports that you're involved in, the tissues, 
the fascia and the nervous system begin to adapt even more so to these extreme postures and positions, and it takes you back to square one or worse. This is one of the things that we know about aging, and this is where the Stronger After 50 training system, the three levels, you have bands and body weight, kettlebells and bands, and dumbbells, barbells, and, and kettlebells. Those three different levels are built not to mix and match, but to take your tissues and nervous system and fascia through a three-year process to allow you to move better, train better, recover faster, and be able to produce more force or power or pulsing out on the bike or in your sport of triathlon where you need it. But in order to get those, if you go into a redundant movement pattern, such as cycling, yes, we're going to sit up, and yes, there is some variation, but the vast majority of it crouched forward in, a, in what Dr. McGill calls a windage position or down in, on the handlebars, you are placing stresses onto different tissues of the body, some that are being shortened, some that are being elongated, and that is going to throw all of the abilities of the body to produce the tension and movements that you need efficiently. Yes, someone's going to say, but it's sport-specific. Yes, this is true. But in order for the human body to work well, you've got to have it in balance. And that is where we get to step number two. So to recap, number one is that it's all about the nervous system, the tissues, and the fascia. And in particular, I'm pointing at the fascia right now because if you understand the fascia and how those changes, shortening, lengthening, affect it, uh, you understand how it can, it can cause some significant changes. Number two is that the strength training helps drive recovery from on-bike abnormalities, both from a movement standpoint and from tissues. So this is where a number of well-meaning coaches over the last two years in particular, since we've come out of the lockdowns and got back to racing, uh, well-meaning coaches uh, around the world have had athletes that I share with them as the strength trainer for them, strength coach for them, have told them to stop strength training two to three weeks or months before their event. Um, and I've gotten to the point over the last two years why I will just very pointedly tell the athlete, nope, you are going to do it until I tell you not to. And here's why. When you do proper strength training, and by the way, the other coaches uh, tend to be very respectful. Uh, I haven't gotten any mean emails or phone calls. It's been more of an inquisitive, like, well, why are you going to do that? You're, they're going to take away performance? No, we're not. In fact, when we use strength training properly, it helps to drive HGH and testosterone production in the body. It allows us to get the body back into normal positions, into better postures, to help us fire up muscles that have been neglected or shut down, so to speak, uh, or become laggards in the movement system because they've been on the bike or spending a lot of hours running and sitting but not really doing other things to keep them moving well. And this is one of the things that, you know, over the last couple of days, uh, two or three of the athletes from the during the track national said to me, like, I have not felt this good, and I can credit the strength training with really helping me. And they did a, a muted version of our dynamic warm-up that we've been doing, our old dynamic warm-up, because we just shifted three weeks ago. And I explained to them, we're going back to what we've been doing the last two months for our warm-up because the body is most familiar. And they had some good questions. They say, well, why don't we do the new warm-up? I said, because the new warm-up is not ingrained enough. We haven't built that engram in the body to be able to do these movements where the recovery is very little to nil, where it's truly a warm-up as opposed to taking out. And you could see the light bulb go off. And they're like, oh, that makes total sense. And each day they did it just once. 
And most of the riders said they felt, you know, kind of lazy. The body didn't really want to work. And after the warm up, they felt a little bit better. After the dynamic warm up, they felt even better than that. And then they got on the bikes. They were like, yeah, I could go out and perform. This is where the strength training, this is where we're reminding the body of what it needs to do and what positions and postures and breathing patterns it needs in order to be able to help the individual perform. And this is something that's really challenging a number of coaches and riders because you think, well, if I want to see peak performance, I need to rest. Well, that actually is backwards. This is why it's called the taper. We want to slowly decrease the amount of training stress. Certainly, yes, absolutely. We need to allow those adaptations that are lagging to catch up. And we can only do that by systemically and carefully easing back on the intensity. However, this is where we need to do it slowly, but we still need to do some short, short, sharp efforts on the bike, as well as needing to do some type of either heavy or explosive work with strength training. And this is where the riders did a great job. Uh, the vast majority of them kept coming to the strength sessions a week before and even two days before. And it was really very much a realization. On Monday, they came in and you could see them. They're a little bit tired. The body's starting to really catch up to all of the training that I've been doing. So they're feeling a little tired, but just kind of eh. They feel better when they're on the bike, but it's just not quite there. The adaptation still hasn't, still in the process, it's still a little bit clunky. And as we went through the strength session on Monday last week, it really was a lot of light bulbs went off as we got through. Like, oh, that's it? But that wasn't the best one. I feel like I could do more. Exactly. So instead of three sets, we did two of our, our, uh, of our Bs. Our As were explosive. We did three sets, but only two reps. And each one felt better. The first one was kind of, eh, they weren't really sure. The second one, they're like, wow, that feels amazing. The third one, they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm going. I want to get it. That's it? Oh, okay. In our Cs, we had one set. They're like, that's it? I'm done? But I feel really good. Exactly. That can only happen if you have, A, built up the ability of the body to deal properly with strength training. So I do not recommend adding strength training if you haven't been doing it consistently before your peak event. Do not do that. In a month or two, Two months before a peak event, sure, you can add. That'll be just enough time that we can actually build up some training stress and get some neuromuscular uh, stuff going. Like eight weeks is the minimum. Uh, and I would need somebody who's had a history of strength training consistently except for you know maybe the last six to 12 months where we have a basis to work on. But really 12 weeks is where we, we would look at starting at latest. But the strength helps drive that recovery for the on-bike abnormalities. It really does. And if you remove the strength training, you remove the type of uh, tissue damage that you're getting from that, uh, the type of nervous system firing, you're not going to get the same result. Now, if you're on your bike, you're doing stuff, yes, you're getting tissue damage, yes, you're getting nervous system uh, to fire, but you're not giving, you're not going to get the type of adaptations that we need to allow you to learn how to keep stiffness and to move. And that's where the strength training is really going to help you. So that's adaptation key number two. The strength training helps drive recovery from on-bike or abnormalities, both movement-wise and tissue-wise. And this is where movement is the movement quality is the focus. So how do we put this all together? Well, today's short episode is going to wrap up with just that. How do we change now here at the end of March, almost April 2023, last three days of March, it's the 28th of April or March, how do we 
change our programming as we go forward. And what's funny is uh, I put this out and I see, you know, a number of, of people have dropped off from programs that I put in. One, because they're inconsistent. They've lost, they've gotten one day the last couple weeks, and now it's a, a exit point for the program. So they go, oh, well, you know, the weather's getting warmer. It's April. I'm going to start shifting my focus to on-bike. Uh, as we've discussed, that is a, a very big mistake and an easily correctable one for most riders. So this is how we look to do it. Number one is you have to look at your riding schedule and say, what are my true key anchors for my riding week? Now, if we look at most riders, uh, and I'm talking about master's riders, we have two anchors for the week. One is a volume day, which tends to be on the weekends, thanks to family and uh, work obligations. And the second is going to be a high-intensity interval training day during the midweek. Now, even if you're following the zone two approach, there is going to be two anchor days. So one would be the big volume day, and the second would be another volume day in midweek with maybe some technique. So that's what we want to look at. So those are our two keys for the week. And we look at the other surrounding rides, which for most master's riders is going to be two, maybe three rides if you're riding four to five days a week. And we look at which one is adding a little bit of volume, but I'm not gonna get a lot of return from. And that would be the one that we would choose to instead replace with a day in the weight room. And we would generally do this as a heavier day. And when I say heavier, it's all relative. So this could be heavier by RPE, it could be heavier by volume, so more sets at a lower weight. So you could do an RPE of 7, but instead of 3 sets of 10, you do 4 sets of 10. That would be a heavier day, because the total volume of weight that you are moving, the more repetitions you're doing, is putting more stress onto the system. The last way that it could be heavier, so we have actual heavier weight, more total volume. So by the way, the heavier weight, you would do less reps. So instead of three sets of 10, you might do one set of 10 and two sets of five. The second would be higher volume, which we just talked about. And the third would be for speed. So this would be like a 2-1-X-1 tempo where we go down or we go through our eccentric phase for two seconds, a one second dead stop at the bottom, nothing moves, and then an explosion up. And then one second to reset. These would, this would be how we would program the heavier day. From there, this is coming in again, April and May, we will look at a medium to light day. This would be your standard strength training day that you would normally do. So most riders have moved along and out of the dropping strength training completely in the spring to they're going to do the weight room once a week, but medium light and focus more on technique. And you just keep that day. And the last day would be one to two days of movement. This would be after your ride or before your ride, depending on what your goals are. This is generally an eight to 15 minute session that goes very quickly, that essentially is targeting your breathing, different postures and positions that are focal points to help you to be able to see the results that you need by giving you small micro doses of that exact thing one to two more days a week. And this can be either your dynamic warm-up, if it's very pointed and, on, and very good for you and you feel good after, or it could be a variation of the dynamic warm-up or something completely different. It really depends on your level and what you're playing with at that point in time. And we just continue to do our strength training like that through April and May. Now, some of you may have April or May events. If these are your true peak events, then what we would do is very counterintuitive. And in fact, it ties back to what I just explained we did with the track team. We would still do our heavier day as normal over the next couple of weeks. And then two weeks before your key event, we would look 14 days out at having 
either your peak or next to peak, second to peak total volume or uh, heaviness, I guess you could say. So remember, we have more volume, we have actual heavier weight for fewer reps, we have explosiveness, those are the ways we're gonna get the heavier. Uh, and then we would start to taper you down from there, where we would do a medium light volume day as normal, then the, about six days, five days, four days before your event, we would still do those more explosive or heavier weights, but we would drastically cut the volume down to about 50 to 60% of what you've done. So you're still getting the stimulation, but just like I shared here about the riders, uh, the track riders, you finish each of the parts of the workout, each exercise, feeling like you just, you're just getting warmed up. That was really good. And this doesn't mean that you change the plan when you're in there. There are some times where you come in and you do the, the two sets and you're like, man, I'm just getting warmed up. Or man, that second set didn't feel that good. And that's where you have to have the ability to say, now nah, I'm gonna stop it there. It doesn't feel that good. I know I'm supposed to do 10, that was six, that's good enough. This is how we are going to help the adaptations stick around for cycling and triathlon season. Now, you may be wondering, well, we just talked about April and May. What about June, July, and August? Essentially, it would remain some variation of this. Now, I very, uh, we'll call it lightly, went over this in the book I wrote, Strength Training for Cycling Performance, or if you have uh, the first version, the Vortex Method, I didn't give a, a super clear answer. I gave the bare minimum answer, and that is you do one day of about a half hour, a day of 15 minutes, and then if you can, another one or two days of 10 to 15 minutes. Now that half hour day is that heavier, more explosive, or more volume day, but that is a very shortened, abbreviated day. So if you think about your dynamic warm-up taking eight minutes, you essentially have 22 minutes, which would equate to about six total sets if you're resting three minutes in between that you would be able to do on that day in a half hour, 40 minute session. I know I just said half hour in the book, 40 minutes. The answer really is it depends. Uh, so I had someone ask me a couple uh, months ago about that. Uh, and I shared this very answer and I said, that's how you're going to do it. And he said, well, how do I organize it? And I really don't have an answer of how to organize it. You've really got to take a look at your schedule and understand and know yourself. So I know some riders who their heavy day, they really enjoy it on Mondays. They're carrying some fatigue from the weekend or a lot of fatigue, but they have found over the last two or three seasons that the strength training helps drive the recovery for them. And they really feel like crap when they start their Monday session. They do their Monday strength workout in the morning. Uh, they might do a light ride in the evening. They take Tuesday completely off, and then they have Wednesday, Thursday. Or the opposite. They'll do a short recovery ride on Monday morning. They'll do their heavier day on Monday evening. And then Tuesday morning, they do their intensity, their intervals, and then they take Tuesday evening, Wednesday morning off. And then Wednesday evening, they do their next cycling. So they've moved their programming around to help them. This is where I don't have one answer because... Well, there is no one answer for that. It really depends. But the theme remains that you'll want one day to be heavier throughout May, June, July, and August, and another day to be at least a movement day. So you need that once a week dose of heavier. Remember, heavier is weights, heavier is volume, heavier is explosiveness with control. That's really important where you are working on that movement pattern and giving the nervous system, the tissues and the fascia what to work with because after that it will take time for them to recover 
Now, something uh, Dr. McGill talks about, Dr. Stu McGill talks about in a number of inter interviews, uh, Joel Proskowitz talks about this as well in some of his interviews, uh, is the adaptation is the tissues beyond the muscles. We're talking about the vertebrae themselves, the bones themselves. So we know it's an electrical adaptation that happens uh, through the bones where you're stressing it, and then the electrical uh, stimulation pulls the calcium and other things to the bone to allow it to, to reinforce itself. And in fact, when you're doing heavy squats or deadlifts, specifically heavy squats where the bar is uh, at your, on your chest, on your clavicle, or on your back, you are creating compressive forces down the spine, which cause the trabeculae, these are small uh, scaffoldings that make up your spine, to fracture. And this is what the best know, the best in the world, the best powerlifters, the best athletes understand this, that in order to see the adaptations they want, they need to give the body rest and time to adapt, what we heard about in last episode, 159 with Tim Cusick, in order for that to correct itself and to get stronger. Or if you come back and you lift heavy twice a week, you're just doing more damage and breaking the body down as opposed to building it up. If you want a deep dive into this, uh, Brian McCarroll, who is a multi- world record holder for powerlifting, uh, co-authored a book with Dr. Stuart McGill about his um, path from a completely busted uh, lumbar vertebrae. He shattered it, uh, wasn't able to walk, much less think about squatting anything, and how he and Dr. McGill worked together to bring him back. And he set numerous world records after that, by the way. Um, so, and, and Brian is a doctor, um, is one of Dr. McGill's disciples. He's a McGill method certified practitioner as well, including myself. Uh, so he brings a lot to the table that will help you understand about those adaptations that need to happen and, and how frequently you have to do it. You can't just go out and ride your bike or go out and lift weights every week. You have to have a rhythm to it uh, to allow you to be able to see those adaptations. Well, we covered quite a bit here, didn't we? Let's do a quick recap. To keep the adaptations of strength training for cycling and triathlon season, number one, it's about the nervous system, the tissues, and the fascia. You have to keep using it or you lose it. Lessons that we have learned numerous times and really uh, ingrained in our culture, but yet we have forgotten them when it comes to strength training. But make sure that you are too, understanding that strength helps drive recovery from on-bike abnormalities, both from a movement standpoint and from a tissue standpoint. And then number three, we talked about how to actually put that, implement that into your training right now. One day of heavier, so heavier does not necessarily mean more weight and less reps. It doesn't mean lift heavy shit. It means it can be, yes, lift heavy shit if that's where you are and you're able to recover from that. It could be more volume. So another set at an RPE of seven or even six or even five, you're just doing more total weight moved for that movement pattern. Or it could be explosive, like the 2-1-X-1, where you are moving less weight or even your body weight in an explosive fashion, learning how to get the nervous system to fire from a complete controlled position to express that explosiveness. And from there, going one day medium light and one to two days of movement. Now, if you enjoyed this podcast, I would really love if you would subscribe or follow. It really helps us to be able to get guests outside of the endurance world who may not be familiar with me. Uh, and it also helps you get updated every time we release an episode. And we are on the path to 50,000 subscribers and or followers by year's end. So if you can hit the subscribe or follow button, that would really help. And it will help you as we continue along 
what is intended to be at least a master's class, if not a PhD in strength training and training for optimal human performance, not just cycling and triathlon. Now, if you'd like to join me for a masterclass in person, I will be presenting June 27th in Bilboa, Spain at the Science and Cycling Conference. Uh, this is where we're going to do a dive into the difference between strength training for fitness and strength training for peak performance. And this is a really fun, it's going to be having you or the attendees do things that are outside of the box. It's not going to be like anything that you have experienced. We are going to do we're going to experience and we're going to talk about the important fundamental differences between training for general fitness and training for optimal performance. So if you're interested in joining, uh, there is still an early bird special. I will put the link in comments. I think we only have seven seats left. Uh, so a number of you have already subscribed or not subscribed, have signed up. I really appreciate that. A number of you have subscribed as well. Uh, but if you're interested, uh, sign up, get the early bird discount. And of course, this is as well before my masterclass, the Science in Cycling Conference and the World Road Championships. So you get to see a lot of great cycling as well as learn. That's it for today's episode. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, very much for subscribing and rating. And I'm looking forward to seeing y'all next week. Remember, train smarter, not harder, because it is all about you. That's it for this episode. Check out humanvortextraining.com for more great content and to keep learning.